Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis, and uh, I am glad that you're listening. Thank you for being here. Um, so, what do I have to tell you? This blog is inspired by a presentation that I saw at the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators conference here in New York um, not so long ago. And uh, it's it's inspired by um, this woman named Elizabeth Acevedo and some things she had to say. I Because there's a blogging policy um, for the conference, and it specifically says, like, you can't say what, you did or saw there, I guess. Um, so I, 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 I couldn't do that. Um, but, and I think it's fine without, it's fine. Um, but if you feel like you need to know what the heck I'm talking about, like specifically before this blog, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now that you, if you Google um, Elizabeth Acevedo, um, Acevedo is spelled A-C-E-V-A-D-O. And if you Google her and um, uh, I, f- I think the, I've, I watched a few different versions of this same story. And my, my favorite is one that she did at the Aspen Institute. So if you just Google Elizabeth Acevedo and Aspen video, do a video search, you will get the story. Um, you might also try just Googling rat ode, and that might get you there as well. So if you, if you just, if you feel like you need to do some prep before you listen to this, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't if I were you, but if, if you, if that's what you need, I wanted, I wanted to tell you before I started this, um, reading of this. So, um, yeah, so check that out. It's great. I mean, you can check it out whether you need it or not. It's delightful. Um, she's delightful. Um, but without further ado, I bring you the default character and why Elizabeth Acevedo made me cry. Elizabeth Acevedo's presentation at the conference of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators made tears fall down my face in a way that I usually try to avoid in public. Acevedo is an extraordinary performer, writer, speaker, and it's no surprise that she took hold of the room full of writers and illustrators and moved us. But why was I crying? At first I thought, well, I'm old enough and she's young enough that she could have been one of my students when I was doing workshops and residencies all over New York. And while I probably didn't teach her specifically, I certainly taught a lot of kids who could have grown up to be poets or performers. I thought maybe I was having a teacher's cavell moment, feeling proud of my former students by watching her work. But I think it was something more. One of the stories she shared was about her graduate training in poetry that led to her writing an ode to rats. I'd tell you the story in more detail, but the blogging policy forbids me from disclosing the contents of a presentation, though if you watch the beginning of the video I mentioned, which is freely available on the internet, you'd be pretty much up to speed. At the heart of the story is a kind of mental gentrification of an artist in the midst of learning a craft. It's a story about the way that a person in power 
coddled in privilege, white, male, economically secure, always part of the dominant paradigm, can thoughtlessly dismiss a culture, a humanity, can fail to see what treasures are right in front of them. I thought perhaps after hearing this story, particularly the part where all of Acevedo's Spanish words are circled in red, that I was crying for the loss of all the books I haven't read, all the stories I haven't heard from the people whose art was cut off at the knees by this kind of colonialist mindset, the kind that can't look up words he doesn't know, the kind that can't see an experience outside of his own. There are so many books we won't get to read, so many poems we won't hear, so many films and plays we missed. I mean, I'm crying for that loss again right now as I write this. It is our culture's great loss. There is no question. But this felt more personal. It felt like she was talking to me, like it was my story she was telling in addition to her own. I'm not Dominican, not Latina, not a woman of color. I cannot claim to have had my work edited to fit a whiter paradigm. My work is probably right in the white zone, probably with its own unconscious colonialist impulses. I have seen the cultural kneecapping happen to students in my orbit, but that particular injustice has not been one I've had to face. So what is it? Why does this feel so personal? I'd love to believe I was just moved by a cultural loss, but I don't think my tears are that selfless. I suspect the feeling is familiar, even if the facts are different. I suspect I felt all the ways I have been dismissed, edited, or questioned for being too feminine, too disorderly, or too much trouble. I suddenly found myself looking for a word that expressed a kind of colonization of gender. I want to be able to note the action while it's happening. I want to be able to say to someone something like, stop patriarching me, but better. Or to find the equivalent of calling someone a colonizer. It's not the same. I know, I know it's not the same. But there are many ways that women's bodies have been claimed by others instead of the people to whom they belong. Of course, we have words for the many ways that that claiming happens, many of which have only recently become common parlance. We can acknowledge that someone has committed domestic abuse or sexual assault or sexual harassment or reproductive tyranny or gaslighting or rape or objectification, etc., etc. Even something as tiny as mansplaining. But so many of these things stem from a basic entitlement to women's bodies and space. I need a word for the whole basket. I need a word bigger than sexism. I need a word for when someone is editing the femininity or feminism out of my work. I want to be able to shout something better than, you're being sexist. That phrase is too passive. It's something the person is being, not doing. I want something like, you're doing sexism, both so I can identify it myself and to make it clear to other people. 
I need a word that can help highlight the subtle ways this happens. Sexism, like colonization, is active. It's not just in the water. It's something people do to each other all day long and repeat and repeat, generation after generation. Colonizers try to make people assimilate to the dominant culture. Sexismers, sorry, still need a word until I find one. I'm going to keep making them up. Sexismers make people assimilate into the biased binary. I have no idea what I would have been able to create if I hadn't already spent a lifetime in the patriarching machine. I hope I've been able to resist most of the assimilation to the sexist structures, but I know there is a colonizer and patriarchist in my own mind who does at least as much damage to me as any sexist colonizer outside me. I'd like to believe that if someone told me my idea wasn't good enough, that I would have gone ahead and written it anyway, the way Acevedo did. But I don't know if I would have, or did. At this same conference, I learned about the default character. This is the neutral character, the one that you don't need to specify anything about. Unless we're told otherwise, we assume the character is male, white, upper middle class, able-bodied, and Christian. Any character outside this norm tends to need to be specified. In order to be welcomed into the mainstream, we try to make ourselves closer to the default, to the neutral. We might edit out our femaleness and or our cultural identity. When Boots Riley won a Spirit Award for my favorite 2018 film, he pointed out how class struggle has been pretty much invisible in film, due, in part, to self-editing. It's a gentrification of the mind, of art. Where has my own artistic sensibility been edited and proclaimed not noble enough for the tastemakers, educators, and gatekeepers? What poems haven't I written because I was told my experiences were not sufficient? What plays or books or songs did I set aside because they weren't nice enough for a nice girl like me? Acevedo heard criticism of her rat idea and she did not fold. She did not nod and say, okay, uh, how about an antelope? She went ahead and wrote that ode to rats and she performs it on stages and in videos, and there are likely people who have heard her rat ode that have heard no other odes in their lives. And so she sets a new standard, a new possibility. We can praise what had once been held in contempt. We can change the definition of nobility. We can all be noble humans and there will be no more default characters. So check out Elizabeth Acevedo if you have not yet familiarized yourself with her work. Um, She's extraordinary um, to watch in in performance, so videos are a great place to start. And I've just started reading her book, which is called The Poet X, Um, and I got to hear her read a chunk of it at the presentation as well. And it's great. Apparently there's a audiobook version of it, of her reading it. That, that must be fantastic as well. So 
um, if you can get the Poet X on your audiobook devices, go for that and let me know how it is. Probably amazing. And uh, good news, I think we may have invented um, a decent word for what I was looking for. Um, it, I'm not sure it's the answer, but it, I did go yes when I heard it. So someone suggested uh, mantrification. So you're, you can be, you can mantrify, you can be a mantrifier. It's like gentrifying, of course, but, but, uh, enforcing the patriarchy as you do it. Uh, there may be, there may be a better one. If you invent, I feel like there should be lots of them maybe. So if you're a word inventor, um, or maybe there already is a word that I just can't think of, or perhaps in another language, such a word exists. I don't know. But meanwhile, mantrification is the best one to emerge so far. Um, yeah. So, new word. Whee! Um, so, song for you. Um, I was working on uh, Ani DeFranco's Blood in the Boardroom um, because I feel like there's a way where Ani DeFranco has always been so much braver about some feminine qualities that I just have always admired and never really felt like I had access to, certainly as a young person. I think I'm getting there now, but um, when I was first introduced to her, I just was in awe of her ability to just say things as they were. Um, and this song in particular, I feel like, is is a song that just feels very brave in, in, a, in its femaleness. Anyway, I'm not going to play it for you. <laughs> what I'm here to tell you is if you don't know this song, um, it's called Blood in the Boardroom, and it's by Ana DeFranco. It's from one of her earlier albums. Um, and it's a little bit dated in the sense that the song kind of privileges um, reproductive power over any other kind of femaleness, um, which I think is fairly problematic. Uh, so I, I don't I don't know about it in the long run. I, I was going to play it for you anyway, because the end of the song is very satisfying. Um, there's a kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it's a really a revenge fantasy, but maybe it is. I don't know. The end of the song is great. Um, some other bits of it I, I feel have complicated feelings about, but um, anyway, I'm not playing it for you, not because I don't want to play it for you, um, because I do, but I, I am not satisfied with my own guitar playing on this song. Weirdly, hard to play, this song. <laughs> um, it's like uh, all different kinds of tunings, um, and the chords are all like, uh, they're just like hard on my fingers. The, song, the chords are hard on my fingers, and uh, I just couldn't play it good I couldn't play it good and I also don't like have a strong hunger to to play the song I just sort of was like oh this song might be might speak to what I'm talking about this sort of like um editing of of self um yeah so but I'm not giving it to you sorry um I did try to record it and it just sounded like garbage <laughs> so um maybe one day I will get better at it but um I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> it just didn't sound good. So check it out. If you don't know it, enjoy it. 
and the song that I am going to put here is a previously promised Steely Dan, Don't Take Me Alive, which I don't feel like particularly relates to this post. Um, aside from, no, it really doesn't. I mean, I could push it. I could, if, if you can come up with a good justification for why this song belongs here, please do. Uh, the only thing I can say is I love this song and I've been working on it a long time. It's been such a joy to like learn it and play it. And I, I, I don't know why it's speaking to me so much these last few weeks, but it really has. It's super weird. Um, I mean, I guess the only, the only thing that I would actually say connects to this piece is that the, the, the song is really sung from a default character perspective, right? The idea of like, I don't know, the anti-hero, the, 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 you know, uh, the romanticizing of, um, of killers, um, and violence. And there does feel to me to be a particular kind of power in taking those roles on in some way. Um, so singing from that voice while not being that voice feels at least like a, a change in perspective. So there's that. Yeah. So all of the things. So here um, are the ways you can support me if you would like to. Uh, first, you can leave uh, reviews and stars five stars reviews on various platforms. I'm told that iTunes is the best place to do that or Apple podcasts or whatever anything is called these days. Um, and, uh, but wherever you are, apparently that helps. So that would be great if you feel like doing that. Um, the other ways are to help me actually make the podcast and you can do that by uh, becoming a patron on Patreon. So patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis for that. Um, there's also Kofi and PayPal and all of the things. Um, all of those things are in the notes. So if your podcast app includes notes, you can you can find links there to all of those places. Um, and I believe that is all that I have to tell you. And I will, without further ado, give you... Steely Dan's Don't Take Me Alive. Agents of the law, luckless pedestrians, I know you're out there. With rage in your eyes and your megaphones Saying all is forgiven Mad dog surrender How can I answer? A man of my mind can do anything I'm a bookkeeper's son I don't want to shoot no Back in Oregon, don't take me alive. Got a case of dynamite. 
I could hold out here all night Well, I crossed my old man back in Oregon Don't take me alive Can you hear the evil crowd? The lies and laughter I hear my inside The mechanized hum of another where no sun is shining, no red light flashing. Here in this darkness, I know what I've done. I know all at once who I am. I'm a bookkeeper's son. I don't want to shoot no one. Well, I crossed my old man back in Oregon, don't take me alive. Got a case of dynamite, I could hold out here all night. Well, I crossed my old man back in Oregon, don't take me alive. Don't take me alive. Don't take me alive. Don't take me alive Don't take me